This is Drew Suttles welcoming you back to Weathering the Storm, a podcast where we strive to weather the storms of life by placing and sustaining an unwavering faith in God. I hope that you're having a great day. appreciate so much that you've taken some time out to chime into this podcast. I hope that this will make your day even better. Uh, We are in the midst of a study of Weathering the Storm with Nehemiah. We've talked about a lot of different things with him, the, the background of the book itself and, and what's going on in this time period. The problem, of course, that he faced, that the, the city of Jerusalem and the walls had been destroyed, uh, the prayer that he offered unto God. And then we started this small series on the leadership qualities of Nehemiah. And so in our last episode, episode four, we noticed how as a leader, Nehemiah planned the work in Nehemiah chapter 2, 11 through 17. But today, as we record episode 5 of Weather and Storm, season 6, we're going to notice the leadership quality of Nehemiah in that he was able to work the plan. And so I'm really excited for this study. Hope that you have your Bible with you if you're in a place where you can open and read it. We're in Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, going all the way through chapter 3. Before we dive into our study, I do want to say a word about the Scattered Abroad Network. And this podcast, Weather the Storm, is on that network. And I pray that uh, you will go and subscribe to our Bastard feed, where you'll have access to all the content that we put out. And then if you have any feedback, any questions, anything at all, uh, please reach out to us. You can email us, thescatterbroadnetwork at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram. You can uh, find our YouTube channel. We hope, hope that you'll subscribe to that. You can also visit our website thescatterbroad.org, where you can learn more about the podcast host and more about our purpose. Uh, We are a group of of gospel preachers who are striving to spread the gospel through the avenue of a podcast. That that is our goal. And again, we appreciate all of our listeners. I appreciate you listening today. Again, as we study through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to look at a lot of different things that took place in his life, but hopefully make the application to today. It can help us weather the storm. And no doubt, Nehemiah faced a lot of different storms. And the storm that he's currently facing is the storm of rebuilding the walls that have been destroyed. He started on the right foot. He went to God in prayer. And with that, he was able to plan the work. But now with our time remaining in this episode, let's think about how he worked the plan. And so I'm in Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, and we'll work our way into chapter 3. After Nehemiah told the people, hey, let's get together and let's do this, they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands so this could work. But immediately as, as, as something positive was happening, notice in verse 19, when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Gisham the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? The first thing that jumps out to us is that any time there's a good work, there's going to be opposition. You can you can almost guarantee, you can set your watch by it. Anytime something positive is happening, there's going to be those who oppose it. There's going to be those who, for whatever reason, uh, oppose the work, thinking, oh, well, I could have done a better job. Remember Korah and the rebellion that he set forth with, with Moses? Hey, Moses, you're the leader, but I don't think you're doing a good job. I could do a better job. It's funny how that happens. You know, people criticize leaders and think, well, I could do better. And yet it's easy to say that when you're not in their shoes. 
And that's kind of the vibe that you get from Sam Ballot and others, even going back to chapter two. And we talked about that when we read through of that text. In verse 10 of chapter two, when Sam Ballot and Tobiah heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. They didn't want that. It's as if the enemy said, hey, this is great. God's people and this this army that in the past have been pretty strong, hey, they're, they're at a weak point. This is good for the rest of us. And so again, as positive works happen and are being planned, there's always somebody somewhere who's going to oppose it. And no doubt, Samballot seems to be the leader here with the others who laughed and despised Nehemiah and the others for what they're doing. But verse 20, Nehemiah answers them. He said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Don't you love that confidence? They said, what are you doing? Do you think you can do this? The God of heaven himself will prosper us. There's great confidence in that statement. And he says, therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. In other words, this is of God. This is far greater and bigger than than what you think it is. Because their mind is, and their mindset is, what is this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? They're thinking, oh, you're going against the king by doing this. He said, listen, you talk about the king, the God of heaven is the one who's endorsing this. But then he says, you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. In other words, why are you so worried about this? Nehemiah faces opposition. As soon as the plan is ready, he's ready to get to work. The people are ready. Here comes opposition. Nehemiah handled this perfectly, didn't he? He said, listen, this is a work of God. God is with us. We, his servants, will arise and build. That's what we're going to do. So you can can oppose us all you want to, but we're going to do the work of the Lord. Love that attitude of Nehemiah, no doubt. The people would have been encouraged by that. And that's what we have in chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3 is a chapter about teamwork. It's amazing, and I don't know who said this quote originally, but I love it. It's amazing what gets done when nobody cares who gets the credit. You know, when people are in it for themselves, and, well, is it going to put me in a tough spot? Then I'm not going to do it. When that's your mentality, nothing ever gets done. But what we have in chapter 3 is we have people of all different kind of uh, backgrounds who are stepping up to lead. It starts with the high priest, Eliashib. We find that in chapter 3 and verse 1. He rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and they hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hanel. And then in verse 2 it says, Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. So you see what the, what is happening. Nehemiah starts this trend. He says, hey, let's come and rebuild the wall. The people get their hands ready for this good work. And look who leads the way, the priests. There are other times in Scripture when the priests do not lead the way. Uh, when you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, remember the priest and the Levite just kept going. Sometimes they're used in that sense where they should have been leaders, but they weren't. But here we have the priests who were stepping up. And you have other people who are going to be encouraged by that. You you continue to read through chapter 3, and you read of all these different individuals who were named by the Holy Spirit as men who rose up 
to lead, and they got others to help them. This was a team effort to rebuild the walls. In fact, verse 17, you read about the Levites. The Levites didn't say, hey, we're the priestly tribe. We're, we're, we're better than everybody else. We're good to sit. We don't have to do any work. No. They got in there and worked too. And you think about the Lord's church today, and that's so encouraging. When you have a congregation where the elders, the deacons, the members, you know, the ministers, everybody's working together. Yes, there are different roles. I understand that. But it's important for us all to be servants. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45. Jesus gives us the blueprint. And let nothing be done through selfish ambition or strife, but with loveliness of mind, let us esteem others better than ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 and following. Of course, looking to Jesus as that example, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And so you have in chapter 3 the priest and the other people in the area who got together, worked together to rebuild the wall. They, they did what they could with what they had in, in a very specific area. And they said, hey, we can do this. Let's do it. And so because of Nehemiah planning the work, and because of him going to God in prayer, and because of the confidence and assurance that he had as a great leader, he encouraged those around him to get together and work. And so that's a great quality that Nehemiah possessed. He planned the work, and then he worked the plan. He spearheaded this work. And the people are all together on the same page, doing what they ought to be doing. As we think about a New Testament update, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, this is, of course, a chapter that precedes the love chapter. Uh, but Paul wants them to know that they had the spiritual gifts. They had all nine of them, according to verses 4 through 11. Of course, he wants to point them to a more excellent way. That's the way of love in chapter 13. But thinking about the body of Christ and thinking about many members, how important it is for all the members, every member, to be involved. And so I want to read this in connection with Nehemiah chapter 3 and the idea of working the plan. You know, God has given us the plan. He's given us the pattern for how we are to be as Christians. And notice what Paul says to the brethren in Corinth. It says, For as the body is one, has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. The Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head of the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, 
having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. I believe there's a great connection then with 1 Corinthians 12 and Nehemiah chapter 3. You know, that the people realized, hey, we're all in this together. You know, we're doing this for the good of Jerusalem. We're doing this to the glory of God. And so nobody, you know, was worried about their image. Nobody's worried about who gets all the credit. We're just going to work together. We're going to see what needs to be done. We're going to put our heads together and our hands together and our hearts together, and we're going to work. So Nehemiah helped to work the plan by getting the people around him fired up and ready to do what God would have them to do. I'm somebody that really enjoys reading about leadership. I mentioned to you in a previous episode that, um, you know, as a father, as a husband, as a head coach, leadership is something that's important in my life. And I know that I need to get better and do better. And so I'm always trying to read and, and come across things uh, that, that can hopefully help me be a better leader. No doubt the study of Nehemiah is, is extremely helpful. But I purchased a book a few weeks back. After listening to uh, a podcast I listen to pretty pretty regularly out of South Carolina, it's a, it's a Clemson sports radio, and every Tuesday there's an interview with a sports psychologist by the name of Milt Louder up in South Carolina, and he goes to teams and high school teams, college teams, whatever the case may be, and, and he talks to them about the mental side of sports. And a few weeks back they had a segment in which they, they – referenced some material from a book written by Pat Riley. Pat Riley, of course, is uh, one of the great basketball minds as, as a coach and a leader. And he has a book entitled The Winter Within. And so I've been reading some of this and thinking about some of this. And he has a, a chapter when he thinks about The Winter Within, and it's called The Disease of Me. The Disease of Me. In fact, I'm preparing uh, this week. Uh, I'm recording this here at the end of May, and so the first sermon in, in June, I'm going to preach the sermon with that title, The Disease of Me, and look at the danger and the damage it can have when it's all about you. Uh, you know, selfishness is the universal sin, and people thinking, hey, it's, this is me, I don't care about everybody else, that's extremely dangerous. And so Pat Riley talks about that with the, with a team. You know, you can have a great team with great players, but if you have the disease of me, he said it leads to the loss of us, or the defeat of us. And so he gives at the end of the chapter seven danger signals of the disease of me. I want to share these with you. I want us to notice how none of this is evident in Nehemiah chapter three, that they did the exact opposite. And I think that can help us. When we face a storm of, you know, there's work to be done, but, you know, we have those who just are apathetic, they don't want to do anything, and maybe we fall into the same trap. Hopefully this is something that can help us. So seven danger signals of the disease of me. Number one, inexperience in dealing with sudden success. You can think about those in Nehemiah chapter 3 who started to build the wall and said, hey, look over there to the right, look over there to the left, look, that gate's up, this gate's up. Could have said, hey, it's all about me. I've done my job, let me get out of here. 
But that's not what happened. You have other people who are right there with them, and they keep working, they keep doing what they need to be doing. Second is chronic feelings of underappreciation. I said this quote earlier, it's amazing what happens, uh, what can get done when nobody cares who gets the credit. But sometimes for some people, if they don't have the appreciation vocalized, they won't work as hard. Um, I know as as a preacher of the gospel, this is uh, a work that uh, I'm not doing it for the appreciation aspect of it. Um, well, I'm I'm extremely grateful for all the encouragement I receive, especially here at Quitman. Uh, it is an incredible encouragement to me to hear the members. But, you know, there are things that you do you're just not appreciated for. I think about teachers. Um, think about medical response people. I think about those who are nurses and doctors and and there's others, uh, firefighters and police officers. There's so many in our society that are underappreciated. So why do they do what they do? Well, even though they may feel underappreciated, uh, true leaders and true servants, they don't do it for that. They do it for the greater good of others. And that's what we find in Nehemiah chapter 3 for sure. Third is paranoia over being cheated out of one's rightful share. You know, I'm, I'm not getting my share on this, and I did that, and that's not fair for everybody else. That's not what we see in Nehemiah chapter 3. Those who are willing and able to get up and, and build, they're doing this for the betterment of others. They didn't say, well, I did this, so I deserve this. That wasn't it at all. Here's the fourth danger sign. Resentment against the competence of partners. In other words, well, these folks over here, they just had to build this little part of the wall. We had to build this entire gate. You don't see that. You don't see any of that opposition because the people had a mind to work and they put their hands together for the good work. That's so crucial when you think about what is happening. Here's the next one. Personal effort mustered solely to outshine a teammate. You see that all the time in sports and you see it in the business world. But that's something we don't need to see in the church. We're not trying to outshine anybody. Because lighthouses are not in competition with one another. A lighthouse has, a, has one main objective. I, I'm going to shine the light so people know where to come for safety. That's the idea. We're reflecting the light of Jesus. It's not my light. It's his light. And here when you think about Nehemiah chapter 3, you know, it wasn't about any one person. The priests, the Levites, the, the people that were there. They're the one, they all got involved. They weren't trying to outshine anybody else or say, look at the work that I'm doing. It was all to the glory of God. And that's a great quality to have. Here's the sixth one, a leadership vacuum resulting from the formation of cliques and rivalries. Not what you see with Nehemiah, is it? Nehemiah didn't show any kind of that. He didn't show any kind of rivalry. In fact, when he went out the night before, he, he did that. He didn't even tell anybody. He's not trying to form this little group here, this group there. We're all in this together. That was Nehemiah's message. And that's why the people took to it. Seventh and finally from Pat Riley's Disease of Me, feelings of frustration even when the team performs successfully. Again, you don't see that at all. You see the people rising together and rebuilding the walls. The team performed successfully, and that was all that mattered to them. You know, today in the sports world and the business world, it's not about that for some people. 
They're frustrated. The team won. But they're mad because they struck out four times. You know, or or the business just had a great month. Well, I didn't I didn't do a lot to do that. I didn't have a lot of things to do. And so they're frustrated. There's no there's no way to be that way uh when you're a child of God. And so Nehemiah chapter three and, and seeing the connection with the church of our Lord today. You know, we're all in this together. And in MI3, you had all the different people come together to rebuild the gate and the wall. And it's so refreshing to see that teamwork. And of course, to see the leadership of Nehemiah, who planned the work and helped work the plan. As we close out this episode, I want to read this this final statement here by Pat Riley. This is on page 53 of, of the book, The Winter Within. Think about this as we apply it to Nehemiah 3, as we apply it to Nehemiah's leadership, as we apply it to the storms of life that we have to face and how we have to avoid being selfish and self-centered. We need to be selfless and God-centered. What about the teams in your life? Are they due for a checkup? Do you still have time to prevent the disease of meat? The most difficult thing for individuals to do when they're part of the team is to sacrifice. It's so easy to become selfish in the team environment to play for me. It's very vulnerable to drop your guard and say, this is who I am, and I'm going to open up and give of myself to you. But that's exactly what you've got to do. Willing sacrifice is the great paradox. You must give up something in the immediate present, comfort, ease, recognition, quick rewards, to attract something even better in the future, a full heart and sense that you did something which counted. Without that sacrifice, you'll never know your team's potential or your own. Again, that's from Pat Riley's The Winter Within on the Disease of Me. Nehemiah didn't have the disease of me, did he? Nehemiah was a great leader. He planned the work and he helped work the plan by rallying the troops and getting everybody excited and and focused on the task at hand. It was so much bigger than one person. It was about rebuilding the walls for the betterment of Jerusalem. And the church today is so much bigger than one person. It's all about bringing glory to God by serving Him humbly. Again, I thank you so much for listening today. This is a joy to go through this study with you. I hope and pray that you are growing spiritually from this, that you're benefiting from this, and that the qualities and the things that we're learning about Nehemiah, that we can apply to our own lives, that these things can help us as we strive to weather the storm. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.